Good morning. All right. I appreciate you guys being here this morning and our audience that's watching online. I'm going to talk today. I'm really excited about this message because this message is entitled How to Be Happy. It's always a good topic to talk about. I, I, I got to show you the clip art that tra- it was cracking Tracy up, this big smiley face on the, on the front of my notes. She was like, How to Be Happy. So I'm going to open with prayer, and then we're going to dive into this. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for this word. I pray you speak through me and have the impact that you want to have. And Lord, just thank you for the flow of this morning. It's been such such a blessing, Lord. Let it continue. Let this uh, be glorifying to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I say how to be happy, what do you think about? I imagine you could find a lot of people's ideas online or at a bookstore or anywhere. You could find all kinds of ideas on how to be happy. Actually, there have, of course, have been plenty of studies. Uh, I'll look at one particular. I'm not going to go into a lot of details of it, but uh, Harvard University has done studies on this. Um, major news networks have done specials on how to find happiness pretty common theme. And it's interesting because when we actually do research, even secular research, not even Bible-based, but even the, even the world recognizes that what does not bring happiness are the very things we tend to chase. The very things we tend to chase for happiness doesn't actually make us happy. So they cited four things that will not make you happy from their, based on their research. First one was wealth and possessions. They also said good looks, experiences, like thrilling experiences, and achievements. They cited those four things don't actually make people happy. That's kind of a problem because that's a lot of what people are chasing. When it comes to be happy, coming the idea of trying to be happy, a lot of people are chasing wealth and good looks and experiences and achievements. And that's going to fulfill them. And if it doesn't, then there's a problem. When we're chasing those things and they don't make you happy, we've got to find something else. Interestingly enough, again, the secular research found people who are happy have close friends, a good marriage, a sense of control over their life, and a vibrant faith. Those are often things we don't necessarily think of chasing for happiness, but that's what even secular research found. So I want to look at another opinion, though. The best opinion. I want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today is Matthew chapter 5. And it's, Matthew chapter 5 starts what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaching a sermon. Chapters 5 through 7. And I highly recommend, periodically, just, just read that whole thing. That whole, that sermon, 
I love sharing the, uh, the old story I've heard that a, a pastor one time said, I'm going to preach in so-and-so number of weeks, I'm going to preach the best sermon that's ever been preached. And they put it on the billboard and they advertised it and I think even, even caught some local media attention. And this guy claims he's going to preach the best sermon ever preached. People had some different thoughts on that, different feelings on that. And then the day came, and he got up, and he read the Sermon on the Mount. And then he closed his Bible and sat back down. said, that's the best sermon ever. I can't top that one. This is the best sermon ever preached. I have yet, I have joked for years that someday I'll try that, but I've never gotten brave enough to try that yet. But we're just going to look at the beginning of it. So this is Jesus' intro to his sermon. This is his opening to his sermon at the beginning of chapter 5. And he's going to open it with what we call the Beatitudes. I'll explain that name in a minute. But your Bible might actually have a little caption there or something that says Beatitudes. He opens with, I'll go ahead and read it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Some translations may say obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What does that have to do with being happy? Like, okay, that's the start of his sermon. He starts off this sermon, and something to understand about the context of the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and a lot of the the undertone of the Sermon on the Mount is helping them understand their need for a Savior. They already had the law, and they're kind of looking for a Messiah to deliver them from the Romans, but he needed to help them understand their need for a Savior, and the law was not enough. So that is the tone to approach the Beatitudes with, approach the Sermon on the Mount with, including the Beatitudes. So what's it got to do with being happy? Well, that word blessed, notice he starts all those things with blessed are you. Blessed are going to be, if you do this, you're going to be blessed, blessed. That word is makarios in the Greek. Greek was the language it was written in. It's makarios. What does it mean? It means to be happy. To be, or to be envied. Makar, or makar, is the root word that means happy. 
And Makarios says, you've been put in a position of being happy. You're in a position to be envied. Therefore, translate it, blessed. You have been made in a position to be happy, and it's, it's an enviable position. Why do we call them the Beatitudes? Because the Latin translation, the Woolgate, I know it's spelled with a V, but if you pronouncing Latin, you pronounce the V as a W. So the Latin Vulgate, but it's pronounced Woolgate. That word blessed is Betis, where we get Beatitudes from, from Betis. Guess what it means? Happy. These are the things Jesus starts off with this. Let me give you this uh, tutorial on how to be happy. So in diving into this, I have to tell you, starting off, uh, in high school, Christian school, we spent an entire semester on just the Beatitudes. 16, 17 weeks on this. I promise I'm not going to try to cover that all today. We don't have the time for that. I'm going to try, this will be a summary. So this will not be an exhaustive study of the Beatitudes. But to give you an idea of how deep Jesus' sermon is, you can take the intro and spend a whole semester on it, covering it. That is a really good sermon. Getting, so let's jump into this. I want to jump into, I want to give you the structure before we get any farther, though. So he says, you're going to be happy. He gives a promise. You're going to be happy because of this promise, this reward. But there's something that you need in between. Blessed are, if you do this, you're going to be happy because you're going to get this reward. So that's the structure. So we're going to jump into verse 3. So where he starts off, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's nice. I definitely want the kingdom of heaven. You know, let's start off with these. We're looking at this promise. We, we want to go to heaven. Yes, that's going to make you happy. You're going to be happy because you're going to belong. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven means you belong in heaven. Heaven's your home. We want that. That's going to make us very happy. And the tone of that word makarios is even you'll be envied. Like if you do, if you get what Jesus is saying here, you'll be in a position where other people will say, I wish I had done that. I wish I had, I wish I had what they're, what they're receiving. We want to be in, in the heaven. We want to be in the kingdom of heaven. So what is this poor in spirit? That could kind of, you could take that a few different ways, right? Just in the English words, poor in spirit, does that mean depressed? No. What's it mean? So the Greek root word there, toxis, and I promise this will not be an entire lecture on Greek, but we gotta, we got to nail this down a little bit. We want to know these words. But that Greek word there for poor, toxis, means helpless as a beggar. Completely lacking resources. That means you cannot do whatever it is you're trying to do or need to do. You're helpless. You lack and you're a beggar. Well, that doesn't sound like that's going to make me very happy. But he says, if you recognize that you are that, 
You are, you are spiritually, you're helpless. So again, he's talking to an audience that says, well, we're already following the law, we're good. He's saying, no, I want you to understand your need. You are spiritually a beggar. You are without. You cannot save yourself. Isn't that this, the key, the starting point to salvation for all of us? That's the, I consider that the biggest stumbling block in trying to even tell other people the gospel. Is, wait, you mean I, have a, I need to be saved? I thought I was okay the way I am. No, you have a need. And I had no idea how this was going to fit in with the message in Henderson and, and what we're getting in both services. But as both is this recognizing our need. We cannot, we cannot revive ourselves. We can't, we can't cause revival to happen on our own. We're, we're perpetually in this need. As a beggar, we need the Lord. We are spiritually poor. And Jesus says recognizing that, is going to make you very happy because recognizing that's going to cause you to end up belonging in the kingdom of heaven. That's what you need for salvation. And then he goes on. You notice each one of these, I could turn, you could turn any of these into a whole sermon, but this is what I feel like we were supposed to cover today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You notice how weird some of these sound when you first read them? It's very easy if you're kind of doing your regular Bible reading, you just read through these, and oh, those are nice thoughts. And you actually, if you stop and process them, they're, they're kind of strange to our natural ears. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, I definitely want to be comforted. That sounds good. That sounds like that would make you happy, being comforted. But what it is this morning? And I, I'm, this is where I'm particularly glad for some, for good teaching and for good commentary and also being able to back it up with other scripture because I could take that several different ways. I could just say, well, maybe something happened to you that was bad in your morning and you're sad. And yeah, you could kind of see, okay, maybe that's what he means. But what he mean, really means here is mourning over sin. Mourning over things that separate us from God, that hurt our relationship with God, that hurt us. And I've read multiple commentary on that. I was taught that in school as we were covering this, and I was like, I agree, but I wish I had some scripture to back it up. And I'm pondering that, and I come to men's group yesterday, and we're in James chapter 4, which backs this, backs this up as, as well as you could ever wish for. And then in James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, he's the, especially at the beginning of chapter 4, he's covering, hey, you guys are having quarrels and fights, and here's what's wrong. You're, you're, you've got passions. You're trying to fulfill your passions, and you're not able to because you're not asking God for the right things. And then he gets into repentance, And what he says is, come near to God, and he will come near to you. goes along with revival that we were talking about. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And in verse 9 says, grieve, 
mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up. And he's talking about repenting from sin, and he uses twice. He uses mourning. Why? Why do we sin in the first place? Because it feels good. Because it's fun. Because we take pleasure in it. It gives us false sense of joy. And he says, you need to turn that false joy into mourning and grieve over sin. Be sorry for it. Repent of it. And you change, you exchange that false joy for, you know, you know, the world, the lost, they enjoy sin. But there's something about when you, when it, when you stop enjoying it. You go, I, I'm, I'm ready to mourn over this. I'm ready to kill this and bury it and be done with this sin. And I want something real that's going to bring me genuine joy. And Jesus says, yes, that's, that's right. You do that, you're going to be comforted. You're going to get something real. You're going to be Macarios. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. That is, that's easy to say. That can be hard to get. That can be hard to trust. I, I've heard people talk about, oh, and we were talking about it again in men's group yesterday. You talk, you talk to people and it's, well, I'd like to be a Christian, but that means I have to give up fun. No, it really doesn't. A couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a Nerf battle downstairs. I mean, we, we know, we, we know how to, we have fun. But even better than fun, we have genuine joy. We have actual comfort, which is a lot of times what people really want, and they, they just don't note it. They just don't notice it or, or acknowledge it. What you really want is to be comforted by God. It's what we really need to get there. Need to mourn over that sin. Need to need to say, okay, that that false pleasure. That's not. I, I'm done. I'm ready to. I'm ready to move past that. I'm ready to grieve over it and and bury it. He goes on. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What's it mean? Again, I'm going to look at the promise that says that we're going to be happy, and then how to get there. What's it mean to inherit the earth? Isn't it when we like when we die, don't we end up in heaven? Yes, but I'll just refer back to Pastor Chad's end uh, of last year. Many several sermons on Revelation and, and Dr- the New Jerusalem coming down to earth, ruling and reigning with Christ on earth. We will be we believers inherit the earth. We rule and reign with Christ. Here on earth. There's even a new heaven and a new earth. It's not just the, well, we go up to heaven and we just kind of float around there for all eternity. No, it's, it, there's this active, there's a wedding feast up there. There's a, there's a place for us up there, but there's a, there's a time where New Jerusalem comes and we rule and reign on earth. How, that, that's amazing. We're going to be happy. We're going to be in, in an enviable position. Blessed are the meek. That position's for those that are meek. What does meek mean? 
We don't really use that word a whole lot in our everyday vernacular, do we? I mean, maybe you do, but you don't, probably don't hear meek a whole lot. I say when we do use it, we tend to think of somebody who is, we tend to think of weak. Meek kind of like, oh, they're just really quiet and pious and passive. Or maybe a little cowardly, a little bit. Meek tends to be tends to be portrayed, presented as kind of being weak. And that's not at all what it means. You get into the Greek of it, and it means exercising strength with gentleness. And I was glad to find that because I had been taught in school, and I, I wanted to kind of question, was I taught correctly, that it was power under control. And meek is actually... You got power, you got strength, but you're able to operate in control and be gentle. When you're able to do that, you are able to bear. You can bear power if you're able to use it gently. You can be trusted with power and authority, like ruling and reigning with Christ over the earth, if you're able to use power under control. give you a couple examples. Bible says in Numbers 12, Moses was the meekest man on earth. Was he weak or cowardly or anything like that? Any of those negative? Not at all. He's got miracles happening. He's got his face is shining with the glory of God. They're parting the Red Sea and all. The guy is surrounded with miracles, has been surrounded with power, and yet he patiently endures leading the children of Israel. And he's gentle. But he's experienced great power. And God could work through him, work that great power through him because of being un, of him being controlled under God's authority. Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11 and he in the King James version the word is translated meek. Other versions may say gentle, but he says, when he's saying take his yoke upon, he's like, hey, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus had great power. Jesus was God in flesh. I mean, you, you don't get more powerful than that. And yet he, he was self-controlled. He was gentle. He even suffered and died on a cross. He accomplished what none of us could accomplish in, in giving salvation to everybody. No lack of power, and yet he was very important that he was meek. That is... gives you a different appreciation for the word meek, doesn't it? goes on, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. How much time do we spend chasing fulfillment? If only I could find something that would fulfill me, make me full. We spend a lot of time, energy, effort, passion on trying to find something to fulfill us. And if we find, with the belief, if we find that, we will be happy. 
right? That's why you chase fulfillment, to make you happy. That is promised fulfillment that's going to make you happy and make you in it in, in, make you in a position that others could envy comes from hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And I have to borrow an illustration from uh, back in the day. I got to give uh, Dave Brandon credit for this one because he's like, you know, it's interesting that it says hunger and thirst for something and not just desire something. And his example was, hey, if I desire a new truck and then I get that truck, well, then that desire is fulfilled. But if I eat a big meal and I feel really full, I'm still going to need some more food later on. I'm going to get hungry again. It doesn't just say desire righteousness. Hunger and thirst is an ongoing necessity. You might get really full and you might eat a big meal and think, I don't ever want to eat again. But you're still going to have to eat again. You might say, well, I'm not thirsty now, but you will be thirsty later on. So this desire for righteousness is this ongoing necessity that just a one-time experience or just a little experience here and there is not going to be enough. This needs to be ongoing. I can't run off of what I had yesterday. If I, try to, if I try to do activity and say, hey, I ate a big meal last week, I'm fine. That's not going to work. I can't, I, can't, I can't keep going off of those calories that I had last week. This, this has to be ongoing. Hey, I, I, drank, I drank plenty of fluids three days ago, I'm fine. No, that doesn't work that way. I got to have something, I got to have, I got to stay hydrated now. What is this righteousness? Very, I want to make sure I get this right, because this, this was interesting. It's basically defined as what is deemed right by the Lord. So it's kind of like if you like set up some sort of, if you set up a structure, let's say you're building a frame like for a house. You see some of the guys, maybe you see home remodeling or whatever, and they build up this frame and they put the level on it all the way. They make sure that it's straight, that it's upright. It's like, yeah, let's, okay, let's, let's. And when they know it's right, you can build other things off of it, but it's got to be right. It's like that. It's those things God says, this is right. This is the standard. This is what you can build off of. It's level in all ways. This, this, is, this is right, and this is what you judge by. And God's given that to us through his word. He can, Holy Spirit convicts us when we, do, when we don't follow those things. This is right. This is what you can base your life off of. And if we desire that in an ongoing necessity, I've, just, I've got to have my life right with God. We're going to be fulfilled. We're going to be happy. Each one of these could be a sermon. This, this is why it took a whole semester of, of coursework to actually go through all of these in depth. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, that sounds good. 
I will be happy. Now, now here's, but there's a little, I think there's a little trick to this one. The only reason I would be happy if I were being shown mercy or obtain mercy is if I recognize that I need mercy in the first place. Because if I don't think I need mercy, then I'm not going to appreciate receiving it. So what is mercy in the first place? Mercy is you deserve something bad, but you don't get it. You deserve something negative, punishment, something along that line. You deserve that, but you don't get it. Because someone's shown you mercy. Contrast that with grace. Grace is something good that you get that you did not deserve. Didn't deserve it, but you got something good. Mercy is that opposite. You deserve something bad, but you were spared from it. If I don't recognize that I deserve punishment, I deserve something bad, I'm not going to appreciate getting mercy. And then I'm not going to recognize my need to show mercy either. So you go in certain circles, you'll see usually a tough-looking guy wearing a shirt that says, God have mercy on my enemies because I won't. It's a quote credited. You see it. Um, General Grant back in the Civil War, General Patton in World War II. I don't know if one was copying the other, but that's a quote that tends to float around certain circles. Well, God have mercy on my enemies because I I won't. And I see that and go, I'm going to pass on that one. I don't want to be that guy. Lord, teach me to have mercy on my (laughs) enemies. Lord, have mercy on my enemies and teach me to do the same is really what what it really should say. Revise that statement. I'll give you an example. I was at a workplace. And when you give examples publicly or online, you do, you're vague on purpose. There's a reason for you, that you're vague. You never want to humiliate anybody, but I'll give you a vague example. I was at a workplace, had a new person, did not perform the job well. Really just needed some instruction. Really just could use, could have used some mentoring. Not, not a bad, not some bad evil person. Really just needed some help. But it very much offended some of the other workers. And they began to try to find everything and record everything this person did wrong. Even to the point of saying, we're, telling me we're going to try to get this person fired because he is just hindering all of us and we're just so offended by what he's doing. And they, really began working trying to get this person fired. And you know what? Eventually they did. And got themselves fired too. One, spending so much time trying to catch everything that he was, that that person was doing wrong, they themselves didn't get their work done. And were confronted by the boss. Like, you haven't been getting your work done. Well, I'm, I'm watching this other person. Why are you doing that? Sacrifice their own productivity to try to trying to hold someone else accountable. Another one, just so harsh, and that everything this person does wrong has to be punished. And then it became their turn. They made a mistake, and there was no mercy for them. It cost them their job when they made a mistake. And those examples stick with you. When you see that happen in person, it it it's like whew. A little bit of mercy there would have been would have gone a long way. Could have been patient with that person and could have what what was the benefit? 
What was the payoff? When we realize our own flaws, our own needs, our own need for mercy, starts making it, well, yeah, I want to be merciful to the other person because I want to be shown mercy because I need it. In that very practical example in the workplace, there's some point that that other people were going to make those mistakes and they there was no mercy for them when they did because they did not show any mercy on someone who needed it. Moving on to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God. That right there, it's easy to read over that real fast, but that is just an astonishing statement. They will see God. Really can't even imagine that. That's a promise to us as believers. We're actually going to see our God. Yes, that's going to make us, and we're going to be very happy about it. That's an important part. Because you can see, you could see God and face judgment and not be happy about it. But you're going to see God and you're going to be happy about it. You're going to be in a position, other people say, I wish I was in that position. I wish I was seeing God the way they are. It comes from pure in heart. What's it mean to be pure in heart? I could, make up a few different definitions for that. The word there, the Greek word for pure, is actually, commentary says it's actually a primitive root word. And it means to not be mixed, means to be separated, and not mixed with other things. Quite literally meaning a heart set apart for God, not mixed with other things. Mark 12 and verse 30, Jesus is giving, is answering the question, what is the, what are, what is the greatest commandment? He, he kind of gives a two-part answer to it. But what is the greatest commandment? And the first part he gives is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus had a very consistent message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Heart set apart for God. We, it, pure can be kind of one of those kind of scary words like holy, where it's, ooh, what does that mean? Those sound like scary words sometimes. We're told to be holy. We're told to be pure. Really means set apart. Means if, if we're not mixed with loving God and also loving the world. Again, back to James 4. We were looking James chapter 4 was saying, don't you understand being, friend, being friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity is not a word we commonly use a lot, but makes being an enemy of. And we had good discussion on that saying, well, does that mean you can't have worldly friends? And not at all. We are encouraged to interact with the world. Jesus ate with sinners and was criticized for it. We are encouraged to build relationships with the world with worldly people. The world, though, the spirit of the world, the, the world that the, the world literally means those things against God. We are called to be separate. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world, and that's the difference. There's actually a few different ways we could get that wrong. We could be told to be in the world, but not of the world. We could be in the world and be of the world, 
That would be wrong. We could say, I don't want to be of the world, so I'm going to withdraw and not be in it at all. That would also be wrong. So we are called to be in the world, but not of it. We're called to be separate. That People are going to notice, hey, there's something different about you. You don't, you don't do the same things that I do. Why? Because I have a heart for the Lord. And that makes, that is going to put me in a position where I'm going to see God and be happy about it. Verse 9, continuing on. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I want to be called a child of God, right? People are going to call, they're going to be known, they're going to be named as children of God and be happy about it. And why? Because they're peacemakers. So I looked a little bit, oh, I want to know, hey, I want to know a little more about this peacemaking. So I looked at the Greek and it's to make peace. Thank you very much, commentary. Appreciate it. I kind of knew that already. What does it mean to make peace? What's it going to take to make peace? That's actually the harder question. There's a couple of things that we as believers are called to. We're called as ministers of reconciliation, the Bible says. So that means we help reconcile other people to God. We have peace with God, and we share that with other people. We help others be reconciled to God. We're making peace that way. We're also called to live at peace with one another, as much as it depends on us. Glad the Bible says that, because sometimes the other person doesn't give you the option of peace. But as much as we are called, as much as we can, we live at peace with one another. James chapter 4 talks about, opens up with what's causing quarrels among you and starts talking about how their, their passions are unfulfilled because they're not looking to God. They want and they, they, they murder and they steal and they covet and they want something, but they still don't have it. And that's what causes quarrels. I liked this idea of as a child of God, in looking at eternity, we start realizing, we start seeing the big picture. Most of the stuff that we fight about and argue about, it's like arguing over dirt. What exactly, in the long run, what is this really going to amount to? I want this, this way, and that way. That's not really going to fulfill you. Getting your way is really not going to make you happy. Actually, living in peace will make you happy. Not demanding your way all the time that's going to make you happy. And most of the things that we fight about, most of them are are emotional. We want to feel a certain way. But the things uh, in this uh, this life that we argue about a lot of times are are like arguing over dirt, arguing over ruins. In the long run, this earth is going to be swept away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Pastor Rod often would say, it's all going to burn anyway. It's all going to be consumed, and Scripture says it will all be consumed by fire. Even the very elements will break down. 
we can be happy through that because we have peace with God. So it becomes, what things are really worth arguing about? The selfish things really start to melt away at that point. It really becomes more, I want peace with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want peace, I want to help other, the lost, be reconciled to God. Those, those things start becoming really big and important in light of eternity. And a lot of the things that we quarrel about start becoming very small. And I could, I really don't need that. That puts us in a position where we can be humble, maybe take a loss on something that we want in this life because we're looking at the big picture. It's really not going to matter anyway. What's going to matter is the peace. And then Jesus wraps up this section. I'm going to treat this last section kind of all as one, verses 10 through 12. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that right there, we think, well, we, we belong in heaven. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. Are we being persecuted, though, because of righteousness? Again, righteousness, that, that standard that God says, this is what's right. And we agree with his standard and follow his standard. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, Paul's warning to Timothy, instructions to Timothy says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that kind of hit me a little bit. Have I actually been enough of an outgoing Christian? Enough of, have, I, have I shared the gospel enough to even be persecuted? That's something that we, you, it sounds strange to think that I would want to seek persecution. It's not that I want to be persecuted, but it does raise the question, do I have enough of a testimony where those that want, that even would persecute me? I heard a question one time, and it's really stuck with me. Somebody said, if Christianity becomes illegal, could they convict you of it? Is there enough evidence to convict you of it? I was like, ooh, that question will make you think a little bit. And I started looking at my social media, started looking at what in, is there, would they even find enough evidence to convict me of it if it was, if it was illegal? I don't want that to condemn anybody. I do want it to prompt us all, because it, it makes me, I've, I've sure thought about it. I want that to prompt us to think about it, that. He continues on in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I'm glad he included that because of me part there. Because if we're just simply antagonistic and people are offended at us, that doesn't count. It means that we need to, it's because of him that they are insulting us, persecuting us, falsely saying all kinds of evil against us because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here is the challenge today. I'm going to invite the worship team to come come back up.
to close this last section, actually the challenge is the whole thing. Are we willing to believe what God says will make us happy versus what our flesh says will make us happy versus what the world says will make us happy? The world will tell you, you need other people to praise you. You need to be, you should be, desire desire to be famous. You You should be pursuing other people liking you. And here Jesus is saying, you're going to be happy if you are insulted, persecuted, and slandered, basically, falsely saying all kinds of evil. That, that's very counterintuitive. That doesn't match our, our flesh, our mindset. Why would I want people to persecute me, insult me, slander me? Because of Jesus. And he says, you will be happy of it because great is your reward in heaven. And that is, that's the challenge today. All of these things are contrary to our desires. We don't want to think that we're poor in spirit. We want to rely on ourselves. But that's not going to make us happy. Go back through these. We don't want to mourn over sin, give up that, give up the pleasure of sin. But if we do, it'll make us happy. We typically don't want to be meek. We like to show we're strong. We, we want people to know we're strong, we're tough. They shouldn't mess with us. But if we're willing to have power under control, it'll make us happy. We don't always want to depend on what God says is right. But that's what's going to fulfill us. That's what's going to make us happy. We can take a lot of pleasure in holding other people accountable, finding everything they've done wrong and make them pay, make them accountable. But if we show mercy, that's going to make us happy. We don't always want to surrender our own way and make peace with somebody. But if we're willing to, that's going to make us happy. And it's definitely not appealing to be insulted, persecuted, slandered. None of that's appealing. But if we truly believe that there's a payoff for that, you know, that means taking a risk. That means talking to that coworker, that family member. They may get offended at me. It's worth it's worth the risk. It's worth the reward. I I I'm with you. It's not easy. And you know if we applied these Let's look, let's let's uh, circle back real quick to those things that research tells us will make us happy. You think in the course of being more more like Christ of doing what he just said there to be happy we're going to we're going to build some close friends, some close friendships. Fellowship of believers, the deepest friendships I've ever known is the fellowship of believers. The most real I've ever talked to anybody. The most real I've ever been talked to. A good marriage. 
you think of pursuing God's righteousness, showing mercy, practicing those things, you think that's going to lead you to a good marriage. That's going to give you, you think being fulfilled, being fulfilled in God is going to help you dramatically in having a good marriage. Control over life. That can be a tricky one because we're called to surrender our will to God's. But have you known any have you known any better sense of purpose or destiny than, than following God? Following his ways. But I might not but I want to chase a lot of pleasure in this life. plenty of people chasing all kinds of stuff in this life and they're and I, I see them on social media and they're depressed they're sad they're asking for help they're I see it all the time they're trying really hard to make this life work and this life pay off they don't they want that pleasure they won't mourn over sin it's not working for them the best control you can have of your life is to be able to surrender it to God follow his ways and then the last one, a vibrant faith. Uh, self-explanatory here. We're following what God says is going to make you happy. You're going to have that vibrant faith. Because all of that is going to put you in the right position with Him. And to one day, it's to see God. I'm going to read that one again. To be that pure of heart. The promise of seeing God comes from that being set apart. That's going to give you a vibrant faith. Jesus knew what he's talking about the whole time. And our own research just tells us what he already, what he was already telling us. And that was just the opening of his sermon. It was here's, here's, here's how to be happy. So I'm going to close with this. We're going to have some worship time. Altars are open. If you need... If you need recommit to the Lord, if you need whatever it is you need, whatever whatever of that jumped out to you and grabbed you, whatever the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, it might you might you might be watching online, you might be here, you might need salvation. Say, I don't know this, what you're talking about. I don't know this happiness. I was just sharing with somebody the other day. I need to tell you about this because I need to tell you about this relationship with God because it's the best thing in my life. How do you not share that with somebody? It's if we go to some place and it's fun, we go to a restaurant, we had a great meal, we go to an amusement park or saw a movie and we enjoyed it, we share that. You share things that you enjoy. You might be saying, I don't I don't get that. This is a great day to say, hey, I'm done with those things that are not making me happy. I want to know the Lord and actually be happy. This is a great day to get saved. You might just need to repent of something. You might just need, it might not even be a big sin. It might just be, Lord, I don't feel like I'm set apart enough for you. Any of these things that have jumped out at you, I encourage you, come to the altar Let's pray. Let's pray together on this. Let's let the Holy Spirit do this work. These are the things that will actually make you happy in the long run. So let's pray together.
Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we can just take this and we can apply this in our lives. And it is, it was just the opening of your sermon. And it's a beautiful tutorial on how to be happy, Lord, and to recognize our need for you and get fulfilled in you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to do what I cannot do. My words are not enough, but with your power, your anointing, Lord, you minister in my own heart and those here, those watching, those listening later on. Lord, work in us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm actually going to lead. I... I don't know if that's for somebody here. I don't know if it's somebody online, somebody listening to the podcast five years from now. I don't know. It could be a year from now, five years from now, whatever. I just want to lead us in the sinner's prayer. We make it too complicated. The journey with the Lord is very easy to start. It's simply believing that you need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. I'm just going to lead in the sinner's prayer and just ask you to pray with me. Whoever may need this. Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm, I don't know you. I'm, I'm, I'm separated from you, but I really want to know you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me. I believe you were resurrected. You're my hope of heaven, Lord. And I just accept you. I accept that you paid for my sins. And I want to live following you. Getting to know you. One day I want to see you in heaven when it's my time to my time and when this life is over I want to see you in heaven Lord please save me please accept me Lord as your child thank you Lord in Jesus name if you're praying you're praying that prayer watching this online, you're listening to this somewhere down the road podcast, encourage you to get in a Bible teaching church learn about the Lord, study on your own, but also get in fellowship with other believers get in a, get in a good Bible teaching church that will help you grow in your relationship with the Lord and those of us here I'm going to, we're going to worship, feel free to come to the altar, feel free, always feel free to come to the altar. We'll pray over you, or if you just want to worship on your own, but I encourage you, seek the Lord, let, let him show you what he has for you today. stand and let's close in prayer. One 
it's all said and done, what Jesus said is going to make you happy, he's going to turn out to be right. Whether or not we follow it, he's going to turn out to be correct. And I definitely want to be one of those that, that receives all those promises. I want to see, when you, when you love someone, you care about somebody, you want to see them happy. And this is the best thing that you could share about being happy. Let's share this. Let's close in a prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray your blessing, your happiness, Lord, on this church family. Thank you so much for this church family. And Lord, bless them and keep them safe as they go. Continue to remind us, Lord, of this word when we need it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.